Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome to our 50th episode. We made 50 of these things. We got a real, real, real winner this time around. Today we're talking about the 2006 dystopian sci-fi thriller Southland Tales set in the near future in 2008 in Los Angeles. It's a satirical commentary on the It's supposed to be a satirical commentary on the military-industrial complex and the infotainment industry, but tell me what you think, Jesse. I think the result of this is part anti-George Bush political blog, part commentary on the psychological effects of war on the soldiers who fought in Iraq, part anti-capitalism, eat the rich, part Saturday Night Live cast reunion, and part very light science fiction yeah i'm gonna go with uh b on this one <laughs> uh, yeah this is like someone took a bunch of ideas and put them in a blender and tried to make a smoothie but i don't know and instead got like you know some kind of like disease or something yeah it's yeah it's a really weird movie it was supposed to be an interactive media thing yep and this is weird. So, like, they were going to release six comics, six graphic novels, and then this movie was going to be the cap of it, right? They yeah, so... They released three of the comics and then the movie. Yeah. Original intention, as envisioned by director, writer-director Richard Kelly, was a nine-part multimedia epic saga beginning with six 100-page graphic novels, like you said. Yeah. And then that would be the first three chapters. And then the movie would start on chapter four, just like Star Wars. Just like and, Star Wars. And cover the final three chapters. In the end, instead of 600 pages of graphic novels, we got 360 pages of graphic novels and this movie. There was also supposed to be a web component of the story as well that did not happen. They got a couple of those done, like, uh, Kristen Al's website was up, like her fan website, and yeah. uh, there was like a bunch of little stuff like that, you know, they had, but like, yeah, it was supposed to be way bigger, it was supposed to be like an ARG type thing, before we even knew what those were, really. Yeah. Uh, big up to, like, Richard Kelly and shit, because he really, like, you know, some of the weird shit in there is like, ah, oh, that's just weird shit for a movie sake, but then some of it was like, oh my god. That's totally going on right now, you know, or it's been going on for a while. Oh, and yeah, then, absolutely. This was like his second movie ever, right? And like his first one was Donnie Darko. So like, it's like in the music genre, it's like, or in music, there's a lot of pressure on your second, you know, sophomore album or whatever. Especially and, if your first one is such a success. Yeah, if you really came out the gate, you know, this better be fucking good. And I think that's what happened to him is like, it was a little too ambitious, and then it's like, it's still got that weird Richard Kelly shine to it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it's like, eh, it's not as cool as Donnie Darko. Right, right. So Donnie Darko, of course, well, we'll get into that. 
This movie was made on a budget of $17 million. Um, it was a complete failure at the box office uh, due to a limited release. It was released in 63 theaters worldwide, making $275,380 in the U.S. Oh, man. And $99,363 in Turkey and the U.K. combined for a total of $374,743 on that $17 million investment. It's rated R runs forever. Yeah, it's like a DOS boot of weird movies. Or, or Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, it's yeah. Two hours and 25 minutes long. It's got a 41% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. People either love it or they hate it. And there's no in-between on this movie. Yeah. It was first screened at the Cannes Film Festival, where audience did not like it at all, mostly because it was way too long. Roger Ebert called it the worst movie to screen at Cannes since The Brown Bunny. <laughs> That's a terrible movie. Yes, yes. And if you asked Roger Ebert when he was still around, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible insult to every movie that was ever made. Uh, I've seen the movies that guy made. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight on that. <laughs> Basically, this movie is just an example of just how deeply personal art can be, because I get the feeling this whole thing, as it is, made absolutely perfect sense to Richard Kelly. Yeah, as we said, movie was written and directed by Richard Kelly, who his premier film was Donnie Darko, an independent film which was nominated for 21 awards and won 11 of them. And so when you, when you come out of the gate with a real winner on a very limited budget, and then you get a big budget, but not much in the way of studio guidance, just money, produce another Donnie Darko. Yeah, things can go poorly. He also is responsible for The Box and Domino, He's basically a mad scientist of storytelling, I think. Yeah, I like the box. It, it was it was weird. It reminded me of like an old like uh, I don't know some kind of like not Twilight Zone, but kind of like that kind of like movie or uh, you know where it's like a story is like oh that's like a cool idea for a story. Go with it, you know. It's kind of yeah. creepy, and of course, yeah, Donnie Darko's awesome. Yeah, he, not really much. I haven't yeah I haven't seen Domino or anything. Yeah. Uh, according to Kevin Smith, Richard Kelly could be amazingly successful if he had the right kind of guidance and special handling that a studio could provide. So basically, if uh, and he mentioned another guy who was uh, similarly batshit crazy, but he got taken into the Warner Brothers machine and they provided him with not just the funding to make movies, but also the people to keep him in check. And he ended up making fantastic films. And the same thing could happen to Richard Kelly if a studio wanted to invest the time and effort into the care and feeding of a madman filmmaker. Yeah, I, I hope he does. I, I want to see more stuff of him. I like him. Music by Moby. I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> Not anymore. Maybe in the early 2000s. Yeah. And this was just, uh, it was really a, a star effort. Again, like a lot of the movies that we talk about, 
I'm going to give a guy money and all of the people that he needs to succeed and then uh, see if he succeeds. Casting director Mary Vergneaux, who has 457 credits, including 30 or so films and TV shows that are currently in production or post-production right now. Yeah, you can tell it's a star-studded event. She's known for casting Knives Out, Silver Linings Playbook, Dead Presidents, Can't Hardly Wait, Cruel Intentions. There's a lot of folks from Cruel Intentions on this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Scooby-Doo, Bad Santa, Grindhouse, Black Swan, Super Troopers 2, Deadpool 2, John Wick Chapter 3, and the still yet-to-be-seen Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see that. Man, I'm starting to like the like I wouldn't hold my breath and shit, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like, well, we will get it in conjunction with the release of Half Life 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Special effects supervisor Matt Kutcher, who worked on Patriots Day, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, San Andreas, and the new AMC series, Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire. And this guy, man, he did great work on this movie. Oh, yeah. Stunt coordinator Tim Trella, he's known for Iron Man, Westwood, The Matrix Resurrections, which was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, I was hoping to find everything about The Matrix. Yeah. Modern Family, Titanic, From Dust Till Dawn, Blade, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and he was the first ever Borg to appear on Star Trek. Nice. Yes. That, that would just be my business card. Here's blah, yes. blah, blah. I was at first four. Yes. <laughs> Movie stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Bar Boxer Santeros slash Jericho Kane, best known for being Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. That guy's going to uh, be proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Based on uh, his current TV show, Young Rock, uh, he was running for president. He did say on TV last week that on one of those morning shows that, that yeah, I'm totally not running for president because somebody saw a TV show where he played a guy running for president and thought he was really running for president. <laughs> <laughs> the weird stuff has happened. I don't know. I love I love the movie. Usually he's like all confident and like you know, strong and, you know, in this movie, right. he's totally opposite to that. Yeah, I mean, this was it, a, an early film when he still had hair. Way before all this Jumanji stuff and Fast and the Furious. This is like, yeah, I think like Scorpion King and like a couple other movies. And then the, there's this. And like not a lot of people talk about this movie. So Right. This is when he was trying to transition from action film, you know, just fight scene to fight scene. Dialogue is just a segue to the next fight scene yeah. into into uh, other kind of acting and, and playing with comedy. Best known for WWE, The Scorpion King, Fast and the Furious, Jumanji, Moana, and the recent most recent Black Adam. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of stuff about this. Like, uh, my coworker, he will not shut up about it. Man, they're going to keep making comic book movies until the only thing left for them to do is Richie Rich. They already did Richie Rich, man, in the 90s. Oh, oh, crap. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, Sean William Scott as Roland and Ronald Taverner. 
Hell yeah. He's best known for American Pie and the Ice Age franchises. Dude, Where's My Car, Final Destination, and Evolution, which I just remember as that movie where they killed the aliens by giving them an enema made from head and shoulders shampoo. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't done that movie. <laughs> well, let's put it on the list. But yeah, it's one on the list right now. I love that movie too. It's like Ghostbusters, but they're like the like <laughs> like real scientists. And yeah. Uh, yeah, also, which was weird, uh, around the same time that this movie came out or was in production or something, they uh, Sean William Scott and The Rock were in this movie together called The Rundown. Okay which was like a buddy comedy kind of like action movie, which was, they worked really well together. And they're in the movie like together, like the whole time in this movie. I don't even think their characters meet and they meet in the comic book, but not in the movie. Yeah. They never meet in, in the movie, but they talk about a time when they did, but we don't ever yeah. see it. No. Sarah Michelle Geller is Krista Kapowski or Krista now. Yeah. Best known for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Cruel Intentions, Scooby-Doo, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. I love um, Buffy, man. I watched every episode she, of it. She is great at playing a ditzy porn star in this one. <laughs> yeah, she's really weird in this movie, man. Yeah, super weird. Mandy Moore is Madeline Frost Santeros. We don't get to see a whole lot of her in this movie, though. Yeah. She's best known for Scrubs, Entourage, This Is Us, Tangled, and Tron the Uprising. And finally, Justin Timberlake as Private Pilot Abilene. And this, I mean, man. So this character is basically narrating the entire film. Yeah. And they don't do much to develop him at all. He's basically a movie star that got drafted. Apparently, at some point during the Iraq War, the draft was reinstated. And they started drafting a bunch of movie stars. And Pilot Abilene and Boxer Santeros were, were two of them. But Justin Timberlake is, uh, is just a really screwed up veteran of the Iraq war narrating this whole story. Yeah. The movie opens with a definite 90s graphic novel or video game feel to it. It almost looks like Command yeah. and Conquer Red Alert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See two kids playing with a video camera. They are filming a family reunion, and everybody's got water pistols to shoot at each other because it's Texas. So you got to yeah. have your guns. <laughs> there's, they're walking by, and there's this one girl who shoots at a boy from shoots a boy in the back as he walks past, and then notices the cameras turned on her, and she gets that busted look. <laughs> I didn't know it was loaded. I didn't know it was loaded. <laughs> Inside, a kick that, uh, another kid is practicing his kung fu on some balloons when there's an explosion outside, and then they run outside to see the nuclear mushroom cloud. A nuclear bomb has just been dropped on Abilene, Texas. More video game graphics and the narrator voiceover explaining that there was, in fact, nuclear attacks on Abilene in July of, 2025, of 2005, corresponding with the war in Iraq. And we get to see lots of news reports and uh, nuclear test B-roll sponsored by Panasonic, Bud Light, and Hustler. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, uh, I love the graphical style. 
because it's very reminiscent of Starship Troopers. Yeah. Like the way they see like the media and kind of like, you know, kind of like if, if you get like all your news and stuff from like internet or like smart TV, it, it does look like that. But yeah, the, yeah, the product placement in this movie is weird. <laughs> yeah. They make it yeah, like I, a joke. Yeah, it is. It's, it's supposed to be, you know, you know, satirizing commercialism and satirizing product placement by using lots of product placement. Yeah. They go out the fucking wazoo with product placement. <laughs> We get to see a lot of, of combat B-roll, and the voiceover explains that American access to oil has been limited, and in response to the nuclear attacks, interstate travel visas are required by U.S. citizens to go from one state to another. Uh, the Republican Party has taken over the majority of Congress as well as the presidency. That happened in 96 and again in, in 2000. Uh, Boxer Santeros has disappeared. He disappeared in 2008 and was later discovered in the desert with his memory erased and nobody knows how. In Los Angeles, we get a shot of Boxer laying on the beach, mumbling to himself, and a toy soldier gator crawling on the sidewalk with a rifle. I love that shot. Like just It's open really weird. Up. Yeah, it's open a movie up. It's really weird. Like beginning thing to like have your attention because everything up to this point has been an animatic and stuff and uh it's just all like catch-up kind of stuff like you know like when you watch a tv show now they got like you know that whole fucking cold opening and then they go to catch-up and stuff and then yeah he comes up and it's like um twilight and he wakes up with like uh you know wave and stuff and then it's just he's up off on the beach running and then like the next thing you know you see that like that little toy soldier like it goes to that. It's like, man, that's the cool, that's weird. What's going on? Yeah, it's really bizarre. Well, we get a voiceover of a news report uh, reporting that pilot Abilene has been wounded in Iraq. And we cut to pilot Abilene with a big jagged scar running down his face in a sniper nest on the roof of a Southern California beach resort, reading aloud from the Book of Revelation. That's when we reveal that Pilot Abilene is actually the narrator through this movie. The one thing I liked about the makeup here is they put a facial scar on him, but they didn't make it run across his eye. I hate that. Yeah. I don't know why, who decided that everybody, every facial scar must go across an eye, but don't do that. That's dumb. I don't know. It it looked cool when Snake Plissken did it or something, and then like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like, especially in like uh, sci-fi and stuff, there's like always some space journal with a, like a slash to his eye and you, you know he's the bad guy. Exactly. Or sometimes he's got half of his head shaved or maybe he's got half of his head shaved and a slash through his eye. Oh, then man. you know he's a super badass. Yeah. <laughs> so news reports included, we get a bunch of news reports, including one about the search for Boxer Santeros, who is married to the daughter of Senator Bobby Frost. Then we get the title card in what looks like Final Fantasy script. Yeah, it's like a big kind of like logo with the shit coming off of it and stuff. And then we start with chapter four. If remember, the first three chapters were in the graphic novels. And we're in chapter four now called Temptation Awaits. 
The internet has been placed under federal control by a company called U.S. Ident, which is controlled by the Republican Party. Senator Bobby Frost and his wife, Nana Mae Frost, who is in charge of the NSA, are there to open up the first U.S. Ident office in Southern California. Senator Bobby Frost likes to plagiarize the poet Robert Frost, at least in the beginning of the movie. He stops doing that after a while. Well, it's like the first issue of the comic, it starts off with the, the Robert Frost poem. Right. And uh, it, it, it almost like every chapter has like a wordplay with his uh, stuff. But yeah, it's like a, like a little character thing. But yeah. Did you read the graphic novels? I no, I got to read uh like a breakdown of them. Okay, but I never got to like actually find like I want to get them stuff like because you know I'm really into this movie and shit. But like uh I've I've seen the artwork and I've seen the general storyization like breakdown. Yeah, because uh, I didn't read them at all. They they pretty much use them as flashbacks for the whole movie. Uh, okay, that artwork that's that's from the comic book. Gotcha. Well, they're opening up a new. A new office of U.S. Ident in Southern California called Upu 5. Everything's Upu, and they never tell us what Upu means, but it's Upu. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know it's like an, uh, uh, what do you think, like scuba. It's like a, one of those, like each word means something for each letter, but it's like they shorthand it and shit, so it just sounds stupid as hell. Every time someone says that, yeah, I can't picture that. It's like, oh my God, that's like the worst, like, yeah. Uh, abbreviation and shit ever i mean I don't yeah know. yeah it, it's i don't i don't get it meanwhile boxer santeros has res- returned from the desert with amnesia and he's living currently with porn star krista kapowski who uses the stage name krista now and they have written a screenplay for a movie on tv the U.S. is running out of fuel, but a team of scientists have developed an ocean-based fuel source called Fluid Karma that could run machines wirelessly. Now, Fluid Karma is referred to as a lot of different things. It's either an ocean-generated energy source, or it's a drug, or it's a test that was conducted on, on U.S. soldiers in Iraq. Or, or maybe it's all of those things. Not really sure. It, it's all of those things. It's uh, it's something the scientist discovered, and he keeps on tinkering with it, and he finds out that it does all these different things. So he starts feeding it to soldiers to see what it does on humans, which that's how the soldiers got hooked on it. Yeah. And then he found that he could power stuff with it, like kind of like Wi-Fi. So it just sends out an energy source, then your engine picks it up and converts it to energy. It's it's all kinds of weird shit. It's just a it's a it's like a catch all, you know. It's like ah, oh, it does everything. It yeah. makes Julian fries. This this fluid <laughs> It's a slicer. It's a dicer. It's a chopper and a hopper. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't sue us, Gallagher. <laughs> you know he needs the money. Yeah. <laughs> well, this uh, this research is led by Baron von Westfallen. Played by Wallace Shawn, who is awesome. Yeah, he is awesome. Anything he's ever been in, I've been yep. a big fan of him for years. You'll know him from The Princess Bride. You'll know him as the Grand Nagus on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was my favorite blackjack dealer in Vegas Vacation. And uh, now he's a 
He's a physicist on Young Sheldon. He's also uh, like, I don't know if you ever seen My Dinner with Andre. Yes. I love that movie. Yeah. He does uh, voice work too, like a shit ton of cartoons and stuff. A whole lot. Because he's got a great cartoon voice. Yeah. He has a fantastic cartoon. I just liked him. I liked him in Vegas Vacation. Here's an idea. Why don't you give me half the money you were going to bet? Then we'll go out back. I'll kick you in the nuts and we'll call it a day. Yeah. (laughs) I've sat at blackjack tables where the dealers seem to enjoy everybody losing. Yeah, he seemed. Yeah, he was. He really portrayed that, like that sleazy, scummy kind of shithead. Oh yeah. Well, they're holding a press conference on the beach, but the, there are no reporters there. Just the reporters' laptops sitting in chairs. Yeah, I love that, especially now. Like in retrospect, that's so genius. Oh yeah, where all the press conferences are are held on on Zoom conference. Who would have known? Yeah. <laughs> The reporters have lots of questions that he's not answering. <laughs> um, but he's got some other scientists who, with him who are just throwing out, you know, jargon, not really saying much, including Dr. Katerina Kunstler and Dr. Sobrin X, played by Curtis Armstrong. Love Curtis Armstrong. Uh, Note in Revenge of the Nerds, Better Off Dead, Risky Business. Dr. Katerina Kunstler, I forget who she pl- who played her, but she's uh, awesome too. Uh, yeah, she was she was in Donnie Darko. She's been in a ton of fucking movies. I can't I can't remember her name either, but yeah, she's great in everything she's in. She had one of the coolest lines, Donnie Darko. Uh, something about like I seriously doubt your commitment to spark emotion. <laughs> like the way she delivers it, yeah, because you like, you give this lady anything and she's gonna turn it to gold. I remember. Oh, absolutely. She was, she was a chick in uh, uh, Speed. They got like ran over by the bus. Yeah. And stuff. Zelda like, Rubenstein. Yeah. Oh, no. You're talking about the, the little lady from uh, Poltergeist. Yes. I was talking about the other one. Yeah. Nah. Zelda Rubenstein. Uh, yeah. She's the shit. Yeah. She's from Picket Fences, the Poltergeist franchise. Dr. Soberin X, played by Curtis Armstrong, Revenge of the Nerds, Better Off Dead and Risky Business. And also Baron von Westphalen's mother. <laughs> That's the one I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Beth Grant is Dr. Inga von Westphalen. Beth Grant from Donnie Darko, Speed, No Country for Old Men, and Little Miss Sunshine. She was also the lady in Evil Alien Conquerors that picks him up outside the uh, Home Depot. That's right. Yes, she was. Yeah, it's like, you want to join us, Doug? Like, that's that chick. <laughs> like, like, that. like, whatever you put her in, she's going to fucking run with it. Yes, she like, is. She she's, she's, a, she's a badass actor lady. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, they're, they're uh, trying to explain how uh, fluid karma uses quantum mechanics to do things without really telling a whole lot. They're, they're just super, super vague. Fortunio Balducci, played by Will Sasso, love this guy. Yeah. He was in Three Stooges, Happy Gilmore, and Drop Dead Gorgeous. He's watching all this on TV. Now he's changing channels and lands on a talk show hosted by Krista and her fellow porn stars discussing important matters of the day. Krista now is, to me, kind of uh, reminds me of Kim Kardashian. Absolutely. 
like yeah she she got famous because she's a, a you know a rich kid that got you know caught in a sex tape man like that leaked and then she became so famous they got her on tv and then like everybody looks up to yeah. her and everywhere and shit so like every time i see shit like this i'm like that's like man i hated when my ex-wife used to just watch like the kardashians for like a whole weekend straight <laughs> oh god like can we change the channels <laughs> yeah. but yeah. yeah fortino his character is bigger in the comic so you don't really get to see much about him but yeah he's kind of like this shysty kind of fixer guy in la and he like works for a studio and uh he's a, a chronic gambler and shit right yeah, he's a great he's a great character. I like I love this actor and he's fantastic. Um but yeah, he lands on this show with Krista which was basically if if the Kardashians did their own version of The View or uh, except instead of Kardashians it's porn stars. It to me it's like a, a talk show on CNN where they're uh, they're talking about like the hot button topics right. of what on in, in Washington, but instead it's yeah, it's like porn stars talking about birth control and shit like that. <laughs> and it's awful. They're they're having a conversation about what would happen if somebody had sex on an airplane and got pregnant and crossed the international date line and then took the morning after pill. Would it actually be the morning before pill? Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of stupid but yeah she's well, also got a song now that's like hitting the charts and it's called teen horniest is not a crime yes she does it's, yeah it's oh my god it's like that kind of like level of, uh yep she's also apparently a prophet she explains to fortunio that the u.s is a sexually repressed nation because the pilgrims ruined the american indian orgy of freedom <laughs> well, Boxer comes up the stairs and overhears uh, them talking about their plans, and he asks Krista if she's been lying to him. That's a question that gets asked a lot in this movie. Yeah. Have you been lying to me? And she says she's trying to protect him from everything out there. Cut to Krista meeting with a porn director to discuss her business plan. She's got a plan for movies, a website, a book and a CD. Don't forget the energy drink. And the energy drink, yes. <laughs> and she also confides that she is currently banging a very large and important man. <laughs> and the narrator explains that the search for boxer Santeros continues, <coughs> led by his mother-in-law, Nana Mae Frost, who is, as I said, director of the NSA. Three guys from Senator Frost's campaign, including John Larroquette, were wearing Bluetooth earpieces. And to make you let you know they have Bluetooth earpieces on, they all have their finger on the Bluetooth earpiece. Yeah, the yeah, the, the classic. Uh, like if you like, I just want to act like Stephen Circus. They said you always touch your ear and like shh, and you talk into your collar. Like they even <laughs> have that. You know, like their heads turned down. It's like, are you hearing this? Get this. Yeah. Say something. And like they say something, you know, and it's like, ha, ha, ha. The modern equivalent is the, the TikToker who has the, the, the headphone with the microphone in the cord. And to let you know that, they have to hold the cord out in front of them. They're in the elevator 
complaining about Nana Mae Frost, who is watching them on closed circuit camera. One of them's complaining. The other one, I think, knows they're being watched. <laughs> they have video from the neo-Marxists of Boxer on the beach and an exploding vehicle. It's very cloudy video, but apparently that's yeah, obvious. That's Boxer Santeros. Baron von Westphalen has recovered the remains from the exploded vehicle, but has not yet identified the body. Meanwhile, in the neo-Marxist underground headquarters, which is a shop on Venice Beach, Cindy Pinzicki, played by Nora Dunn, and Terry Riley, played by Lisa K. Wyatt, I remember her as Kevin Malone's love interest on The Office. They have an ice bucket full of severed fingers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Krista is also working with them to use Boxer to influence the upcoming presidential election. Well, Cut. Krista doesn't know that. She's trying to get this movie made. Right. And she's trying to get her, her brand off the ground. But the... The other chick, she definitely, you know, she's, yummy you know, I mean, shit, she's collecting thumbs, you know, that's another, <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> uh, you don't have pin numbers or cards anymore. You just, you just use your thumb. It's kind of like, you know, back to the future. So yes. the election's coming up. So these uh, Marxists are cutting people's thumbs off <laughs> to commit it, widespread yeah. voter fraud. Yeah. Either they're buying them or they're just stealing them at, to commit voter fraud. Right. So, yeah. There's all this shit like in news stories and like the little news channel tidbits like in the background. Yeah. Like see it or uh, <laughs> it's, it's fucking weird. It's really weird. Cut to Zora Carmichael's played by Saturday Night Live alum Sherry O'Terry. She is trying to buy a gun from a black market dealer who worked out of an ice cream truck. Actually, she's not trying to buy a gun. She no. just wants to buy some nine millimeter blank. Yeah. And she tries to pay for them with a check. <laughs> and, <laughs> because uh, that's what every gun dealer wants is traceable funds. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool who they got uh, to play the gun dealer. Yeah. Uh, it's it's um, fucking Chris. It's the Highlander. Right. Is it Christopher Lambert? It that's is Christopher name. Lambert yeah. plays Walter Mung. And... I, I thought that was fucking funny. It's like he's like in this like little thing. And like, yeah, he's like this. He's got accents. So it's like some Eastern European. You don't know what. And it's like a old beat up ice cream van. And inside of it is just like uh, the Carnage Emporium. He's got like right. uh, all kinds of automatics and like a bazooka, like right above the driver's seat and stuff. That is a Syrian self-guided surface to air missile. You can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I was just going to write this check. She's like making it like she's buying milk or something. It's like, nah, just, just <laughs> not you know, it back. And then she, yeah, like she kicks him in the balls and then throws the check at him. Right. She tries to pay with the check. He's not going to take the check. He says, get out of my ice cream truck, you Cro-Magnum bitch. And so she just goes Sherry O'Terry nuts on him. Grabs him by the throat and says, would you call me? Say it again. Say it again. Would you call me? Kicks him in the nuts, throws the check at him, takes the blanks and the gun that he made her buy and walks out. Yeah, usually like Sherry Terry, she's like really manic, but she's kind of sweet, you know? 
In this movie, yeah. she's mean as she just does not care. Well, she makes that switch like nobody else can. That's fantastic too. Yeah, and and, and it it's great. I'm surprised she's not working. In the neo-Marxist headquarters, <laughs> Zora is sniffing a paint can. She's not sniffing paint. She's just sniffing the can. Meanwhile, Ronald, Ronald Tavener is dressed as an Upu officer, and he's watching himself in the mirror, which appears to be delaying his reflection, which, I mean, it's a great effect. It's kind of weird. Maybe the, the, the mirrors are surveillance devices in this world. Oh, no. Um, they've just been drugging him with uh, fluid karma. Okay. So, like, uh, him and uh, The Rock. Ever yes. since they got back from the desert, they've been uh, regularly consuming. Being, they've been fed this drug to make them all woozy and stuff. Right. And one of, the, one of the side effects is it allows you to see through time. So, uh, it's, it's part of that thing. It's like his, his vision's off. He keeps on seeing, like, a couple seconds in the future. And he's, he's right. really lost and stuff. So he, he's on like, he's like in this thing, you know, like they're giving him a pep talk. He's about to have to do some uh, weird uh, shit. And he doesn't know what's going on. You know, he still have like amnesia and shit. Yeah. She does remind him though, that he has drugged and kidnapped a cop. And that's when we see another guy who looks exactly like him tied to uh, one of those giant hand chairs. I got one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's all beat up and stuff. It's like a cardboard one. Or, yeah, it's like cardboard with like felt on it. But there you oh, go. I got so you. <laughs> I cannot it. imagine them being comfortable. They are not. They're trying to get Ronald to, to portray a racist cop. Dream, played by Amy Poehler of all people, reminds Ronald that he hit his head and has amnesia. And she... And another guy named Dion have squibs taped to their belly. Mm -hmm. So Ronald is going to play a, a racist cop. The cop that they drugged and, and kidnapped is actually his twin brother, Roland Tavener. So he's dressed as a cop and he shows up at a house, knocks on the door. It turns out to be Fortunio's house. Uh, Roland introduces himself, but it turns out that Fortunio actually knows Roland. But Ronald didn't know that. Yeah. He's a little confused right now. <laughs> he it's blames like, hey, it on being, uh, being in Iraq. Yeah. Which is completely believable, of course. And so Boxer, he's here so that Boxer can pitch his movie to him. He wants a ride along with Roland, Ronald to see what it's like to be a cop. The movie's set in the future which Krista explains the scientists now believe will be even more futuristic than they predicted. Uh. <laughs> uh, Boxer's going to play a cop with supernatural powers who is the only one who can see that the world is ending because the Earth's rotation is slowing. And Fortunio looks like he's thinking the same thing I was thinking when I was watching this. Because every once in a while during this pitch, which is just completely batshit crazy. The camera will cut over to Fortunio. <laughs> He's making these faces like you would make when you're listening to somebody tell you something crazy. It's, I love that part. Yeah, it's like when people are like trying to explain their dreams and you're like, oh no, not this again. It's like, <laughs> but uh, a little spoiler, the movie pitch. Yeah. 
that's like it's, this weird meta thing where it's there he's telling you what the movie's about and the events are going to unfold in the movie oh yeah the movie he's pitching is the movie that we're watching yeah uh it's um he says people are starting to go crazy because the earth is starting to slowly uh lose its speed or something right and it's called uh everybody's inner uh inner ear or whatever to drive them crazy and act psychotic right and it's because of they somehow tapped into fluid karma which is like drilled out of the ocean somewhere and it's slowing the earth down causing everybody to get super crazy and uh like uh what's the word like just you know chaos like you know right fight. exactly you know yeah. everything's going nuts the fluid karma platform is interfering with the ocean tides and that's slowing the rotation of the earth and everybody's going nuts as a result. Roland, Ronald listens to all of this. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to keep Roland and Ronald straight. I'm going to mess up the names through this whole thing. Yeah, it's cool. Just, that's just the way it's going to be. Ronald listens to all of this and finally goes, so you want to ride along? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he says, yeah, but see, the movie is, 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 and he goes, he launches into more about the movie, and, and Ronald finally stands up, and he says, you're going to have to wear a bulletproof vest, and walks out. Like, just nonchalant, deadpan. Yeah. I don't even want to do this job right now. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> Cut to Boxer interviewing Ronald about what goes through his mind when he pulls someone over, and Ronald gives a very generic response. Well, Boxer presses him, and, and Ronald admits in a very politically incorrect way that basically he's just racially profiling people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, big warning. That is, yeah, very insensitive. Uh, yes. And, uh, Super insensitive. N-word figures in there prominently, and that uh, if it pisses you off, it's supposed to. Yeah. He's and, supposed uh, to be playing a racist cop. Then the rock breaks out the rock face, you know, the, the smell yes. of the rock sticking at him. So the rock will slap that crooked eye straight. And you can't help but laugh at the situation. <laughs> and like a cop car with the rock, he's like not even a foot away. He's like less than a foot away. He just totally ripped you apart. Yeah. But, he looks at yeah. him and says, you're joking, right? <laughs> and the guy laughs at him. Yeah. No. Yeah, and Not then it joking. Cuts, uh, next thing. Yeah, it's like just tension with a knife. And then it cuts back to the radicals and stuff. It's like, ah, that's it. We got them on tape. You know, it's like, and then they're like, you know, it's like, I don't know. You know, it's, they're all setting up for like this big ass like fucking thing. Because they want the, right. you know, they want like next riots or something to happen during the uh, election. Right. It looks like Dream and Dion are back at the neo-Marxist headquarters and they're watching all of this on a separate hidden camera. Dion's all excited. He said the N-word. He said, well, that's not enough. It wasn't really believable, he says. So they go back to talking about the movie after Ronald asks Boxer what his wife thinks about his uh, porn star girlfriend. But Boxer, Boxer's confused because he says he's not married. And he just wants to go back to talking about his movie. So they go back to talking about the movie. But now, apparently, the movie is about a secret experiment involving a baby that doesn't poop. Instead, the baby is able to turn food into energy. And that's when Ronald reveals that 
He hasn't gone to the bathroom in six days. <laughs> <laughs> What's even funnier is it cuts back to Dion and Dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. That's what I love about this movie. It's like these little parts of dialogue. Yeah. And like uh, one-liners and non-sequiners that are just fucking genius. And uh, yeah, they're like, I don't know, cow shit. I think, you know, people want to shit. It's like, you know, therapeutic. Or <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, Dion and Dream are debating whether or not uh, pooping is in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and And whether or not animals want to poop, Dion thinks that pooping is written into mother nature dream on the other hand believes that if you ask animals if they enjoy shitting they would say no (laughs) (laughs) crazy stuff yeah absolute nuts well kenny shows up and he's a neo-marxist mole inside u.s ident However, this is where we learn that Starla Von Luff, a U.S. IDENT employee, has actually placed a listening device in the collar of Kenny's jacket, and she is spying on the neo-Marxists who are spying on U.S. IDENT. It's like Inception. Yeah. Also, I want to go <laughs> five for a minute. The U.S. Yeah. IDENT. Employees, and this is like this. This is weird shit. All right, so like the U.S. ID employees, they uh, all have like cubicles and shit. Yeah, and it's like an you're assigned a person you got to watch on a computer all day. Also, when you come in, you have to wear a, a set of like plastic see-through pajamas. Yep. So everybody's in these weird things and stuff, and they got like a. Also, there's a lot of dwarves in this movie in the background. Desert so one. many dwarves, and they put them right up front at the ribbon cutting yeah there's even like one dressed out in like full upu two gear <laughs> but yeah it's it's weird as shit so like she's at this desk and she's like wearing these see-through plastic pajamas and she's got a little see-through cubicle or see-through computer and she's like just eating cheese puffs in a see-through bag yep that's got to be hell but anyway yeah, it was crazy. And and this woman, she's great. And she's got one of those faces that you think you've seen her in a lot of stuff, but she hasn't been in any of that stuff. Yeah. She's got three acting credits on IMDb, and all of them are Richard Kelly things. Yeah. But she's got one of those faces that you think you've seen. Um, sure. I really like, like her. Yeah, I love her. And she, she loves yeah. Cheetos. Oh, yeah. So Dion and Dream are leaving, and they leave Kenny in charge. Roland is still strapped to the chair, and they tell him if he wakes up, just give him another shot. And there's a, a syringe of, of fluid karma there on the table. There are news reports about a neo-Marxist plot to use stolen fingers for widespread election fraud, like we said earlier. Senator Frost and his campaign staff are watching video of Boxer and Krista making out on a balcony. They got it from an informant named Deep Throat 2, who <laughs> immediately, immediately calls in. How convenient. Turns out Deep Throat 2 is, are the, the neo-Marxists, and they want a million dollars and an endorsement on Prop 69. Well, Senator Frost again plagiarizes Robert Frost in refusing to pay because they do not negotiate with terrorists they never negotiate they always negotiate <laughs> yeah that act was really good he played donnie darko's dad and yes, I, he I'm did. Pretty, 
like they got him to play the uh cross character the president or it was yeah for president right most people in the that were in donnie darko are in this i think oh yeah there's a lot of them who reuses everybody like we said like you know well, Prop 69 is a bill to restrict the powers of U.S. ident, cut back to the porn stars on their sofa on the beach talking about the Supreme Court. Who elected those guys anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what the old fucks tell me what to do with my body? Yep. Oh, it looks like I got out of order here. One of the porn stars wants the Supreme Court to explain what happens when a woman has sex on an international flight flies across the international dateline and takes the morning after pill. That makes it the morning before pill. And one of them goes, you are so smart. I never thought of that. <laughs> Same episode. Like every time they turn into it, it's just that one episode. It's awful. Yeah. Cause you tell they, they filmed it like all in one go and then just like, right. The lighting's the same and all that shit. And they're wearing the same bikinis. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you took all of this uh, and put it together into one shot, it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. Dion and Dream are in makeup, getting ready to stage their own death. They have fake noses, so they won't be recognized because they are, after all, cultural icons. Just before it shows them in makeup, it pans across a movie poster of the two of them in a film called milking the dog yeah they're like kind of what, 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 what's like andy warhol like beat kind of artists they do like yeah plan poetry and two people shows like broadway improv shit yeah and, uh yeah it's they're weird yeah zora zora doesn't think that uh their spoken word poetry has just captured the america the zeitgeist of the of the american world and and that's when Dream takes an opportunity to bash Zora's stand-up comedy. Saying just because it's loud doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Zora, by in, in the meantime, is just zipping around in circles on these weird rollerblades. Kenny, meanwhile, in the Neil Marx's headquarters, is being monitored by Nana May. He's trying to get through the government firewall. And the moment he says... Nana Mae Frost can eat a dick. She gives the order to take him down. Yeah, man, this is funny as shit. Uh, <laughs> Nana Mae Frost and a dick is, is like, oh, man. I used to and say she that just shit. very calmly, very quietly says into her headset, take him down. And then, like, yeah, you get this uh, sweet, it's like uh, fucking with rainbow sticks or something. All these Upu officers, like, come in, like, Doing yeah. the duck walking shit, and then you see, like, yeah, there's that dwarf guy in, in like riot gear with a gun. Now, this guy in front has a badass rifle that looks around corners. Yeah, it does this like little trick hook shot. Also, uh, you haven't seen it yet. Well, there was one time on the news conference, uh, on the thing, uh, there's like Hustler logo on the tank. Yeah, when they're talking about. <laughs> The uh, Upu guys come in, and there's like, yeah, like there's like the Hustler logo, and like I think there's like a, a some kind of uh, uh, what's that, some boxing website or something like on the corner. It's fucking weird as shit. Like everything's covered in logos. Yeah, everything like, has uh, everything has corporate sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, they burst in and they, and they come in all SWAT style and they're, and they're shooting everybody they see. When Kenny hears the gunfire, he tells Roland, you have to wake up. And he immediately wakes up, uh, but he's seeing everything through this really trippy drug haze. The Upu agents burst in as Kenny is trying to secure several computers. Roland manages to escape through a window, but Kenny gets killed on a giant toilet. Yeah. There's a giant statue. Also, someone else gets killed in the toilet in that raid. Yeah, uh, there's they, a guy in a in a in the bathroom sitting on the toilet reading a magazine, and he gets shot too. Just for good uh, measure, I guess. That's Eli Roth. Uh, he's a famous director. Oh, okay. But yeah, and then yeah, Kenny gets shot, and he lands on a giant toilet, and then yeah, uh, Roland like runs up the stair or runs up this bookcase and jumps out a window. And yeah. lands in dumpster. Yeah, he he's standing on the roof, and then he just turns back, turns backwards, and falls off the roof into a dumpster. And the lid slams shut on the dumpster. So Roland's going to get away because these guys won't look in a dumpster, right? Yeah, it's like the lamest place, but it works. I mean, it works. Meanwhile, Boxer and Ronald are having lunch. Ronald is confiding about a, a reoccurring dream. Apparently, you know. He made this horrible racist comment earlier, but now these guys are having a heart to heart. He has this recurring dream about being trapped in a dungeon maze. And as he approaches the exit, Boxer is there waiting for him. And so they're having this heart to heart about mental illness when two older guys, one in a Hawaiian shirt, the other one shirtless, heavily tattooed with a red mohawk, motion Ronald to come over to them. He's got a red, white, and blue mohawk. Yes. That's a, it's that's really a bizarre. Yeah, he's in the comics a lot. They mention his name toward the end of the movie, but he, he's one of the guys that like, works with Fortunio that facilitates the Marxist schemes. Yeah, we're going to find out later that, that Fortunio is much, much more than he seems. Yeah. Well, Ronald is talking to them as Boxer watches a girl in a leather miniskirt standing against a a backdrop of neo-Marxist propaganda and pictures of Boxer. She leaves and Boxer follows her into small world books. And everyone in the shop is watching him and pretending to read, but not even convincingly. They're just staring at him holding books. The girl introduces Boxer to Dr. Inga von Westphalen. She's there with Dr. Katerina Kunzler. Dr. Westphalen tells Boxer that whatever happens next is not his fault. They've read his screenplay, which they got from the future, and they tell him he's right about how the world will end. And that's the end of Chapter 4. Get the title card for Chapter 5, Memory Gospel. Oh, yeah, this is part analysis of the Book of Revelation also. Yeah, it's well, it's like if the, the guy that wrote the Book of Revelation was on mushroom it's yes. like everything's messed up and nothing makes sense but if you use symbolism and stuff it kind of does but even right. then it's like yeah you're stretching dude yeah exactly at usi dent starla is shoveling cheetos into her face and watching toilet spy cams at lax she uh, everybody feels bad for her for being assigned toilet duty apparently it's a job nobody wants to do Starla doesn't seem to mind. Yeah, but she's been doing it for 48 hours. <laughs> <She's done crap. laughs> 
She's been on toilet duty for 24 hours straight. That'll break anybody's brain. It turns out that Starla managed to get a hold of a copy of the screenplay, too. And she got it because Krista put it up on her website. Starla is obsessed with Boxer and the screenplay and has assumed the role of one of the characters in the screenplay as she shoves Cheetos into her face. An ungodly amount of Cheetos. It gets like almost like a cartoon. She just has to unhinge her jaw and she's just like stuffing it. And she has this look of ecstasy on her face. <laughs> it's fucking weird. She has like this little, um, it's like a suitcase or something. It's got like a shrine to Boxer Santos in it on her desk and shit. It, yeah, she does. Well, Boxer and Ronald get a fake call from Dream about a domestic disturbance. Dream and Dion are having a very loud argument. There are a couple who just got married, but she is bragging about all the people she had sex with last night. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest exchange here, Dion yells, I'll kill you. And she says, if you kill me, I'll have the cops down here so fucking fast. Uh, it was Really, I, I, I keep on laughing as this whole argument is like they're supposed to be like these great actors. Yeah. But it's like the crappy, like no one would like you'd look at their faces, totally bad makeup on and they're yelling and shit and, like these obscene shit. And it's like, Yo, OK, where's the camera? And I'm getting well, I'm, aren't I? Who else could do a perfect portrayal of a really shitty improviser? Than a couple of fantastic improvisers. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's great. But it is funny. I mean, the one thing Richard Kelly tried to do here is make a comedy. And there are some real, there's some real gold in here. And this is part of it. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't watch the movie if it was that crappy and didn't have anything I couldn't laugh at. But there's exactly. Some, you, you put this on and it's like, yeah, you have to rewatch it just to get some of the jokes and some of the storyline. Well, as Ronald and Boxer pull up to the house, they encounter a real cop, Officer Bart Bookman, played by John Lovitz. <laughs> he insists on providing them backup. And at this point in the movie, everybody is super calm, emotionless, and talking like they're in a trippy dream sequence. This entire movie is a bad acid trip at this point. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, like, it even makes it like that. Like, they pull up, right? And then all of a sudden, this alleyway gets smoky. And yeah. once they walk in the smoke, it gets totally dreamlike for the rest of the movie. I mean... The, the sidewalk leading to the house is a jungle filled with fog. Yeah, it's like a Michael Bay movie or some shit. <laughs> like, it's, they're about to get, go to the drug guy's house in Bad Boys 2 or something. It just it gets really dramatic. Still some small quips and shit in there and some situational comedy, but it's everyone's dry. They're all doing right. it dead. Yeah, it's all deadpan. It's all a completely emotionless, really bizarre. Well, they approach the house and when Bookman asks what the hell is wrong with you people, Dream starts aggressively reciting subversive slam poetry at him. So he shoots her. Zora and Bing are in an adjacent room and they hear the gunshot assuming it's the blanks in ronald's gun so they yeah. push the button to detonate the squibs 
pop. But they, <laughs> the, but they can't see what's happening, so they just assume it's the blanks. They fire the squibs that Dream and Dion are wearing, so they get shot, fall dead, and then the squib goes off like they'd been shot. Yeah, totally <laughs> delayed reaction by a good five seconds. Boxer says they weren't armed, so Bookman turns around, takes Boxer's camera, which filmed the whole thing, and runs Boxer and Ronald off. Uh, the plan was to capture a fake double murder committed by a racist cop. Instead, they managed to film an actual real murder of two very famous people. Yeah, she uh, totally broke uh, characters. So, like, you, you know, you definitely know. And it's the, bank, the makeup's so bad, like, you definitely know them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the makeup was just a prosthetic nose. Nothing else. Just a, a prosthetic bad. nose. Uh, her nose looked like a beak. It looked like Chicken Lady from Kids and All. <laughs> yeah, and his looked like uh, some giant elephant thing. I mean, yeah. it was, it, he had it a big droopy like, nose. Yeah, goofy or something. Yeah. Well, Ronald and, and Boxer run off in opposite directions, and we get the Pixies playing in the background with a POV oh, shot oh. of yeah. Boxer running through the fog. Ronald freaks out and drives off in the cop car. Zora and Bing escape through a trashy alley on their weird rollerblades. And Boxer's phone starts ringing. And he rips off his shirt trying to find it. He eventually finds it in his pants pocket. <laughs> yeah, he's freaking. It. Like, this is seeing The Rock's freaking face after those guys get shot yeah. for the next 15 minutes. He's freaking hard. He is. He's, he's having a complete psychotic break. Well, the call is from Starla at US Ident. She's obsessed with Boxer's screenplay, like we said. She has taken the role of Dr. Muriel Fox, and she refers to Boxer as Jericho Kane, his character in the movie. And he's screwed up enough at this point that he just drops into the role and, and goes with it. Yeah. She tells him he was right about the tides creating a rift in the space-time continuum and that she should call her at another number. And she gives him the phone number of Vaughn Smallhouse, Senator Frost's campaign advisor, played by John Larroquette. Love John Larroquette. Then we get this really screwed-up CGI sequence of a car, uh, uh, an SUV, Rolling up behind another SUV and humping it. Yeah, uh, that thing uh, is like this. The Kristenau thing and something else were all part of the online thing. This is like a commercial yes. launch on the website. I think they had a website for the Marxist Leninist movement. But yeah, this this commercial is funny as shit because I've seen it out of context before. I seen the movie. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> man, that's really doing it, huh? This is a commercial for the 2008 Trier Saltair, which is a car powered by fluid, fluid karma. It's being prevented by, presented by Baron von Westphalen at a party in his house. The Frost family and their aides are all there, and Senator Frost turns to von Smallwood and says, did I just watch two cars porking? Yeah. <laughs> and graphic detail. He goes, ah, that, that was the European version. It won't be seen in the U.S. <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. 
Well, the Baron makes a toast about their ocean energy source, bad-mouthing Fat Cat Neocons, which makes Fat Cat Neocon Senator Frost a little uncomfortable. And that's when Boxer dials the number he was given, and he gets Sm Von Smallhouse, who tells him to go to the Baja Cantina and wait there for a car to come and pick him up. And we get another news report about a doomsday cult that has boarded a cruise ship to prepare for the second coming and neo-Marxist freedom warriors holding a midnight vigil for Dream and Dion. Inside the neo-Marxist headquarters, everybody's getting high. So high. Really high. Vaughn is not taking calls from Deep Throat 2 anymore, and that's got Cindy really angry. And Krista it reveals that she might be falling for Boxer. Cut to Boxer being picked up at the Baja Cantina, and he is having a complete psychotic break. Is the guy who picks him up, is that uh, Curtis Armstrong? No. It looks a lot like him, though. Yeah, dressed up in uh, like the thing. Yeah, that looks like Dr. X. It looks like the cop that shot Dion in Dream was actually one of Nana May's agents because she is watching a video feed as they are cleaning up the crime scene, making it look like a murder-suicide. Ronald explains to Zora that Dion and Dream are dead. Ronald thinks Zora has been lying to him all along. Here we go again. Have you been lying to me? <laughs> Bing is in the back seat, and he just wants to go home. So he leaves. And Zora does that, that weird shift from, from happy to psycho and just stabs Ronald in the neck with a hypo full of fluid karma and knocking him out. News is reporting that Dion killed Dream, then killed himself. Roland approaches the guy who sells guns from the ice cream truck and asks, can I borrow your phone? And as he tries to make a call, the guy he borrowed the phone from pulls a gun on him injects him in the neck with fluid karma, knocking him out, and loads him into the ice cream truck. Next, Boxer arrives at the Frost Mansion as a party is going on. He still doesn't remember anything. Madeline Frost, the senator's daughter, says, what, I guess you have amnesia? And that's when he recalls that she is his wife. She rolls her eyes and walks off because she doesn't believe that he really can't remember anything. Meanwhile, at the neo-Marxist hideout, news is reporting that a woman assaulted a cop by beating him with a giant dildo. <laughs> we will later see a blow-up sex doll stabbed through the head with a giant glowing dildo, too. I don't know if they're connected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bart Bookman has a tape for Zora. Bart appears to be working as many sides as he can. He's working for, for USIDENT. He's working with the neo-Marxists. He's probably also on his own. He's also apparently romantically involved with Zora as he puts his hands around his throat and asks her if she wants to fuck or watch a movie, which she finds quite exciting. Then we get this weird music video for Kristen Now's hit song, Teen Horniness is Not a Crime, and it's a horrible, horrible song. Yeah. <laughs> Madeline Frost is ordering Nana May to find and deliver Krista to her. Apparently, she's got some plans. Meanwhile, one of Senator Frost's aides is explaining to Boxer that they think he was abducted by a neo-Marxist group 
And that's when Krista just shows up. Madeline is is really hostile to her for some reason. But Boxer is defending her business acumen, which is funny in its own right. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. The whole exchange is like funny as shit. <laughs> it's like in a room of, uh, it's, I don't know, it's like a weird part of the movie where it's like everybody that's like been talked about and stuff are finally in the same room together. Yep. And all accusing each other of different bullshit. And you're trying to see where the battle lines are drawn and shit. And you kind of come in as like Boxer Santos, like someone who totally doesn't have anything going on. No idea what's going on whatsoever. And you just get yelled at. You don't know who's on your side or what's going on. It's fucking funny. Same time confusing and shit. It is like the lowest part of the movie. Yeah. uh, yeah. I understand why, you know why Madeline Frost is is being so so hostile to her. I mean, she she was conning this woman's husband. And at the same time, I'm pretty sure Krista suspects that she's being used by the neo-Marxists. And Boxer is hearing all of this and he knows that Krista was using him. But at the same time, you know, she was kind of his friend. And so he's he's trying to defend her. It's really weird. But then he finds out that there's a whole lot of video of the two of them having sex. And now suddenly he's he's not so happy about defending her. Yeah. Well, Madeline wants Senator Frost to give Krista and Deep Throat too. I wasn't in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Madeline asks Krista, are you Deep Throat too? And she says, no, I wasn't in that movie. <laughs> She says they've got to give them whatever they want to, to prevent those videos from, from becoming public. He, he explains again, we do not negotiate with terrorists, but now give, give her whatever she wants to, to avoid these tapes from going public. And Madeline is outraged that he would have sex, that the boxer would have had sex with, with Krista. And that's when she reveals that she's actually pregnant with his child. Of course. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. Well, Krista says that Baron von Westphalen actually paid her to bring Box- or Boxer back from the desert. Baron von Westphalen is making out with Serpentine. That's the girl in the mini dress from earlier. And he's always making out with her throughout the entire film. And the other weird thing about the Baron is every time you see him, He's wearing more makeup than the last time you saw him. Yeah. And it gets more and more cartoonish every single time. But even in the movies, he's like this weird ass kind of like uh, French aristocrat, like clown face. Yeah. It's like a bougie fucking. Uh, like a Pierrot. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. It's really bizarre. So Krista accuses Baron von Westphalen of paying her to bring Boxer back for the desert, which he says is preposterous. <laughs> I wanted him to say inconceivable. <laughs> inconceivable. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bunch of lightning outside outside the window as all these accusations are flying too. Very, very mansion murder mystery style thing. Yeah. Also, it's like usually there's a calm before the storm. And this movie, there's a storm before the calm. It's like, yep, as dramatic thunder and light. Well, Madeline accuses the Baron of secretly funding the neo-Marxists and trying to sabotage Senator Frost's presidential campaign. 
And that's when Barron reveals that Madeline is actually pregnant by Senator Frost's aide Brad, and he's got the blood test to prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like everybody's dirty laundry comes out in that scene. Exactly. That's when Dr. Inga Westphalen, the Baron's mother, tells him that they have to leave because Mr. Takahashi has accepted their terms. And the meeting starts to break up, everybody wandering off. Krista's leaving, and it's pretty obvious that she's developed feelings for Boxer at that point. Boxer is conflicted, doing his little finger-tapping thing again. She calls him Jericho Kane and tells him that she loves him, and then she gets in the car and leaves. That's when Starla calls Boxer, tells him to go to the Santa Monica Pier, look through the looking glass to find what he's looking for. (laughs) Dr. Kunstler appears behind Boxer, and she's got this flashing blue orb, and she's quoting lyrics from the song Three Days by Jane's Addiction. She tells him to go before it's too late, so he gets into an open car and drives off into the pouring rain. It's a weird yeah. choice because as he's driving down the, the uh, down the driveway away from the mansion, it's not raining anymore. Also, like it's the rock, right? And that car's like this little coupe. <laughs> so he looks like he's driving around in a clown. It's, yeah, it's- he would need two of those cars, one for each foot. Yeah, it's it's really awkward. It's like, I, I, uh, what's his name? Santeros, Mr. Santeros is leaving. Uh, yeah, can bring him a car around front, and then like, you know, yeah, like they couldn't get like a jeep or nothing, and not uh, it's this little clown car. I mean, it's a sweet looking car. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's not made for him. Right. It it is this. It's this antique roadster, that, and it's open. It, it's made for two people. But it's the rock, so he's the only one that will fit in it. You can see his knees coming up over the window. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Baron is on the phone with somebody. He identifies himself as the wizard of Baron von Westphalen. And he orders that the paladin body be removed from Utopia 3. And we're only halfway through this movie, so this is going to have to be a two-parter, Jesse. Cool. Our first two-parter on our 50th episode is kind of cool. That is cool. Our very first two-parter. We will be back in a couple of weeks with the other half of Southland Tale. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at cdfpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to patreon.com slash cdfpod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.